real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is the host of Creating a Brand, a top 20 entrepreneurship podcast. Welcome to the show, Alex Sanfilippo. Thanks, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm really looking forward to this. I listen to your show, so it's always great to be on a podcast that I listen to. So I'll probably skip this episode, though, if that's okay, whenever, I go, <laughs> whenever it comes out. <laughs> but thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate the fact that you listen to my show. And sure, you can skip it if you want to. I <laughs> are you, So I guess, are you one of those people that you don't like to hear yourself? You don't like to see yourself? No, I like to learn. And I'm afraid if I listen to myself, I'm just gonna be like, dude, just spit it out. You know, like, give uh, me some information here. You know, <laughs> no, I'm just selling myself short here. No, I'll actually listen to it. But you do great work. It's an honor to be here with you today. Well, awesome. Well, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, definitely. It's best to keep this stuff brief, I find, and we can expand on it if it's interesting to you. For me, I know this is a podcast about entrepreneurship. So I'm just going to jump straight into that. At a very young age, I was selling lemonade and decided that that wasn't profitable enough. Believe it or not, as a nine-year-old kid, I was thinking about profit margins. So I started selling used golf balls back to golfers that were hitting them in the lake in my neighborhood and learned that I loved business at a very young age. I remember back then, I actually wasn't good at things that most kids were good at. I wasn't good at sports, wasn't good at video games, wasn't a great musician, it wasn't good at school. It's the most awkward place to be. But what I was good at was business. And I discovered that at a young age. So ever since then, I've just been infatuated by it. So as I grew older, I actually did a startup in my late teens in the real estate industry, did some tech startup for a company, and also did some real estate investing and then got into aerospace for uh, the last 15 years, been a senior executive, not for the entire time, but worked my way up to a senior executive level at a uh, multi-billion dollar company and been able just to work on the part support side of things. So I really do a lot of profit margin and processes. And my passion project, if you will, and the side hustle, the thing that I really love is creating a brand. And that is my podcast, my website. Everything I do right now is really through that. I run an online community where I'm just helping people take that first or next step in their business. And then the latest startup that I'm part of that we actually launched through creating a brand, so it's like a DBA of it, is podmatch.com, where I'm helping podcast guests and hosts get connected. That's a little bit about me, what I've done in business. Outside of that, I live in Jacksonville, Florida. I love the beach. I love to play soccer. I love to hang out with people. Relationships are what make my life meaningful. And it's all about just adding value anywhere that I can. So that's a little bit about me, Sarah. So do you still work in aerospace full-time and then do creating a brand on the side? Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, it's okay. you know, it's it's funny. I've always I've known that the time would come where I'd have to make a decision. And I was thinking it would be earlier this year, but when we hit COVID-19, I decided I wanted to stick it out with the aerospace company a little bit more because I, I saw people's livelihood at, at Jeopardy, if you will. And although I planned on kind of an exit strategy, I decided I'm going to stay on and really help people get through that difficult time. It's been a company that's been been great to me over the years. And I started my late teens 
and just work my way up through it. So there's a lot of people that really rely on me to help provide for the company and make it work at that senior level. So I'm, I'm there to see it through this really difficult time. And then after that, we'll see what happens. But it's a company that I love and I still learn a lot at. And then creating a brand has worked as a side hustle. And it's actually really helped me learn how to get a lot done in a little bit of time. So that's been interesting. That's awesome because I currently have a full-time job as well. And I find it kind of a struggle sometimes to balance the two. How do you go about balancing a full-time job and the side hustle that you probably want to become full-time at some point? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that first off, kudos to you for having a full-time job and doing podcasting. If any of the listeners aren't podcasters, which I'm sure the majority of them aren't, it is more work than you can imagine. I mean, Sarah, you know that it's a lot of work to run a podcast. There's a lot that goes into it. And so for me, having that balance between the two, like when I first started, I'm like, how on earth am I going to do this? Like, I know I want to, I know I'd like it to be a business that makes money, but initially I knew it wasn't going to be starting a podcast. I knew day one, I'm not going to be making profit and that's okay. I wanted to do this out of an area of passion. And I felt that was somewhat a calling to really help people just again, go further, faster in life and in business. So I've made it a point to do this, but I had to make that decision to sacrifice certain things. But the first thing that I realized about it was that I actually had more time in my day than I thought. I don't know if you had that realization at any point, Sarah, but or the listeners today, like I realized, you know what? I'm working for eight hours a day. Most nights I'm sleeping between seven, eight hours a day. That still leaves eight hours unaccounted for. Like, hold on a minute. There's eight more hours in a day. You know, I had that realization. I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, I could do more. Not that I filled it all with, you know, creating a brand things or anything like that. And there's always going to be the chores and the different things that you just have to do in life, right? But that extra eight hours, I was like, what if I could really be effective with that eight hours? I bet I could do a lot more than I've done previously in my life. So it's funny. If you compare me, let's go back five years. I use less time now, but do more than I did back then. But back then, I thought I was too busy to do anything. But it's just because I wasn't managing my time well. And that's what it comes down to is actually being mindful of the time that you're using and what it's going toward. It's, it's similar to, to keeping a financial budget. A lot of people look at it as a place of like, well, if I have to keep a budget, it's kind of restricting. No, the truth is it's freeing because it tells you what you have available to you. And it's same with our time. If we're not actually logging our time, keeping track of it, you're just letting life happen. But if you're saying, here's what I'm doing with my time, then you've actually created a structure for yourself to say, okay, here's what I can actually allocate this much time to versus this time that's for, for my wife, my friends, or whatever it might be. So do you not have a commute or much of a commute then? Well, right now I don't. Oh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, before COVID, I guess. <laughs> before, yeah, I've always made it a point to to live close to where I work and to where I play and all that. So I'm, I'm less than 15 minutes, about a 12-minute drive. Oh, and same thing, I would use that time very effectively. I love book reading summaries. I don't know if you ever do anything with that, but I like to listen to a book to see if I want to actually buy it and, and read the whole book. So on the way to and from work, I listen to a book. And I listen to like the best of it in 12 minutes. I use a certain app for that and it just kind of runs through it. And it's always just an interesting thing that I would do anyway. But I'm like, I might as well do this while I'm driving, make the most of that time. But my commute is so, so short or was so short. Now I have no commute that it really didn't make much of a difference. My commute is, well, it depends on traffic. If there's no traffic whatsoever, like it's a holiday or something, or maybe the summer and kids aren't in school, maybe 45 minutes at best. But Ooh, when the but there's usually traffic, so it can take an hour. If it if there's some accidents, it might take an hour and a half. I think one or two times it took two hours. So, oh my god! <laughs> so that's why I was like, you have eight extra hours. 
but I make the most of that time too. I listen to podcasts a lot in the car. So that's good. I mean, that's, that's personal development stuff right there. That's the way to use your time effectively. Maybe you should start another podcast and call it like, I don't know if you have road rage, but like road rage rants or something like that. And just, <laughs> oh, that's pretty just, good. Just go for it. You know, like <laughs> get published before you walk into work and then do it again when you leave. <laughs> I bet that exists. That pod- it, it has to, it has to. That's such a good name. I love alliteration and stuff. So you had mentioned Podmatch, which I'm a member of. I love it. Can you tell, well, first of all, how you got the idea for it and implemented it and what you see as the future for it? Because I don't really think there's anything else out there like it. Yeah. You know, I'll make this really beneficial for everybody, even who's not in podcasting with the way I'll explain it, because it's actually my philosophy on starting a business. I think that many of us, we wake up and we're like, I have an idea, like it clicks. You know, it's like, I I know something I want to do and ideas are great. Unfortunately, ideas can be very misleading. Ideas don't equal profit or success or always work at that matter. And if we get so married to the idea that we wake up with that we're not willing to flex and make changes, then often we don't ever succeed with it. And I'm I'm a product of that. I have failed far more times than I've succeeded and, and honestly ever will at this point. And that's something I'm okay with. But I had this realization that not to get married to the idea, but get married more to the solution that you're offering somebody. So I walked into a conference at the beginning of the year. If you're listening to this in 2020, I mean, the whole world's been shut down all year, but believe it or not, a conference happened at the beginning of the year with 2000 people at it. It was a podcasting conference. And I walked into there because it's a spot that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about podcasting. So it was called PodFest Multimedia Expo, really great conference put on by one of my friends. But I remember telling my wife, I'm like, all right, I'm walking in here and I'm going to walk in and think about what people's problems are. I'm going to ask them what their problems are and I want to offer a solution to it. And this was a far better way to go after things than just ideas. Like I got an idea for how we could, could do something for podcasting. Instead of doing that, I said, let me find what they're all saying. So I sat down with as many people as I could and I said, hey, what are you struggling with in podcasting? And some people were like, well, you know, my show's great, but I just, I can't find guests. I can't find good guests right now. And then the other side, I was meeting people on the other side of the room. They're saying, you know, I don't have a podcast, but I came here because I want to get booked as a guest more often. And I can't really afford a traditional booking agent because, you know, they, they cost a lot of money and they're great for what they do. But if you're starting a business, it is not, they'll even tell you, don't use a booking agent if you don't have a lot of money. You have to be making a lot of money to do that. And so I saw these two problems. I'm like, man, they're all in the same room. Like if they could just know that they were the right fit and meet, maybe that would work. And that's where I got the idea for Podmatch was saying, okay, here is the problem. And I'm gonna, my idea is going to be the solution instead of just, something random that I thought up. So I decided, you know what, if there was something like my idea, and I pitched it to to a, a partner, which maybe we'll get into later. But I was like, hey, man, think online dating, but for podcasters. He's like, that's a good idea. He's like, does nobody do that? I'm like, no. I'm like, but it's funny. He and I have both been married for more than like, I've been married for seven years. He's married for like nine or something like that. And we're both describing what we think online dating apps are like. And I was like, dude, one of us has to talk to our wives and we just have to download one and we have to see what it actually does. So it ended up being me. He's like, that's not going to work here. So I downloaded one and started just playing around with it. I was like, okay, how does this work? I used the fake name and stuff. I wasn't like actually using it. So, but I, you know, I was going through it and like figuring out how it worked. I'm like, this would work for podcasters. This would be the solution to the problem that people need. So my advice to anyone listening today, no matter what kind of business you're trying to start, what your idea is, make sure it matches up to actually solving somebody's problem. Because if you can solve people's problem, you can make money doing it. And you're also adding value to people's lives. So it's really important to think about. But the whole idea for Podmatch, just to jump into that real quick here, was again, let's make sure that we can actually connect the guest and host together. And let's use AI to do it. So an automatic match and core. So basically, when you sign up, it asks you a few questions. And you, it basically will find podcast guests or hosts that work good for you. And you know, it's funny, I'm, I'm like looking at our profile. 
when we matched and we matched really well, it was like 77%. So I'm like, cool. Like this is a good podcast for me to be on. It's one I listened to, you know, like it was really cool. So yeah, that's the whole idea and, and a kind of reasoning for Podmatch. In the future of it, we hope it become an industry standard. And we're working really hard to, to gather partnerships and agreements and onboard new users. And we went with a, my friend, Chris Cremensos calls the start ugly model. And that it's a funny way to say, it, but everyone always knows exactly what it means. It means we launched before we had a logo. We launched before we had a real game plan. Like we launched with a solution to a problem to see if it could serve people well. And we developed our MVP. So minimum viable product. And that same day we launched the thing. So the idea originated on March 10th, 2020, and we launched into beta June 15th, 2020. I mean, three months and five days and we had it launched. And two days later, we had a couple hundred users on it and, you know, like hit it on the mark. And I I don't say it to brag or anything, but we really figured out the problem that people needed. So the future of this thing really, again, hope for it to become an industry standard and really help solve that long-term problem. Wow. I I can't even imagine thinking of it in March and then having that implemented or in beta, I guess. Speaking of Chris, I always... Don't know how to pronounce Chris Cremensos. Cremensos. Yeah. I'm actually interviewing him on Saturday. So that's in- Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to go to Podfest. I was I'm planning to go to Podcast Movement. Cool. Okay. If it actually happens. It's in Dallas where I live, so it's convenient. Are you planning on going if we have uh, Yeah, I'll be there. I'll, okay, if, cool. if it happens, I will be there. Yep. And then we will meet and we'll uh, take a picture together and we'll post it for everyone to see. <laughs> That'd be awesome. But wow, yeah, Podmatch is so awesome. I feel like it gets better. I guess the AI is probably learning or maybe you're tweaking it, but I feel like each day, like some days it's kind of slow. I think that's the only thing that bugs me at times, but I understand, you know, you got to work. Oh yeah. It's new. Like I said, starting ugly. Yeah. Some days it's slow. If we're making a change, we're trying to make the matching core get stronger. And in those moments, if you're online, you are going to feel it, you know, Uh, like, okay. But, you know, it's a difference between we could avoid that if we wanted to, but we'd have to pour thousands of dollars into it each month for upgraded hosting and things like that. That right now we just said, you know what, people are gonna have to forgive us. And at the end of the day, if you deliver something for people, they will forgive you for the imperfections along the way. Mm -hmm. Not forever, but along the way when if they understand it says beta right on it, there's not even a logo on it yet. You know, it's like very beginning stages, Mm -hmm. but people forgive you for that. And the goal is to get it to a really great server by the time it hits any sort of profit. The first thing we're gonna do is start upgrading the servers and then it gets really fast, really quick, but you have to pay for that. And you know, this, this podcast about being frugal and, and bootstrapping, mm-hmm. we've started this with virtually no money. I mean, the most expensive thing was the domain. That was an investment we needed to make. Aside from that, we've not spent any money and we're not being cheap. We just knew that we could do it all internally and we're going to hold on to that for as long as we possibly can. But when the day comes, it's time to spend some cash. We'll be ready. We just won't have wasted any at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. Was it like a premium domain and you had to pay more than the usual 15 bucks? I'll share it with you. I paid $14.50 for it. So $1,450. Okay. It's my second most expensive domain. I actually love negotiating for domains. I've done quite a few. You can imagine creating a brand wasn't cheap either. But yeah, so these are premium domains that we go after. But really important to me, like, you know, it was was a bit of like to chew off. I'm like, we're not spending any money. And now I'm about to drop close to $1,500 on a domain. But the one thing I knew we needed to invest in, because other people will do this same idea. It's just a matter of time. And there's some people starting to show up and things like that. But I knew that Podmatch was the name. And I actually had a conversation with somebody who's really big in the podcasting space. He called me about it. He said, Alex, He's like, I just talked to somebody who saw your idea. They love it. They'll give you $16,000 for the domain right now. And I kindly declined. I was like, thank you. But they saw the name. They knew exactly what it was. And they saw what I'm building. 
And they said, wow, that's a gold mine. Like I, I've got to have that. So we declined, but it's proof that if you buy the right name, there's some things that are just worth investing in. And if we would have gone with something else and then maybe upgraded later, you might've missed the opportunity. So we just went for that day one. It's funny that you mentioned that because I recently, so I have a few books and I, I self-published them and they all end in preneur, like frugalpreneur. And then there was authorpreneur, which was about self-publishing. And now I'm working on podcastpreneur. And so I decided to develop a name to publish them under. And so I came up with Preneur Press. Preneur Press. Ah. Preneurpress.com wasn't taken, which surprised me. So I got it for like a buck because I usually get my domains on one and one.com or I think it's called yeah. I and it's I O N O S now. So I got it for a buck and then never really did anything with it. It was more just to have it, you know? And then out of the blue, I was contacted by a GoDaddy broker. And they wanted to buy the domain. Their initial offer was 200 And so I looked up and somewhere it said, I think it was on GoDaddy, it said it was worth like 1500 or something. Everywhere else said wow. it. Well, everywhere else said it was worth under 100 So I'm not really sure what the discrepancy is there. But so I negotiated. I tried. I think I asked 900 I can't remember exactly, but I ended up with five or 600 So I spent a buck and made like five or right. 600 <laughs> That's a great deal. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's actually a form of real estate. People don't really think about it. And I haven't gotten too much into it. But I have some friends and they buy domains all day and they'll hold them for three and four years and they'll do the same thing you did. They don't usually make that much money. Like you did great, you know, but like if you make a hundred bucks and you buy a hundred domains and it's, you know, you get 50 to hundred bucks each, it ends up being pretty good. But there's obviously some big players in the game that will spend tens of thousands and hold it for years and make a lot of money. But that's a really cool story that you were able to do that, make a little bit of profit off of it. That's sweet. So can you tell us a little bit about creating a brand? Yeah. So creating a brand is kind of is my hub for everything. So it started with the podcast, which I launched on July 2nd, 2019. So when we're recording this, I'm just past the one year mark, actually. So really excited about that. And it's done very well. But the idea for creating a brand was to one, be a free educational element. So the podcast itself focuses on helping entrepreneurs make that first or next step. And we just cover topics that really matter to people that are listening and who our audience is. And then for those that want to go deeper and have conversations... The Creating a Brand Community is, is completely free. People can join it. We've got a bunch of different topics. We use a program called Mighty Networks. One of my friends is the CEO of that company. So we got off of Facebook and, and off of big social media. It's our own platform. It's really nice. It's really pretty. We do like Zoom calls together. And then it's just a bunch of talking. Like for me, sometimes I just sit on the, the direct chat with individual people and we just go through some of the problems they're having or questions they have. And I'm not the guy with all the answers by any means. But the thing that's nice about something like this, it turns into a networking tool. So I can be like, well, I don't really know a lot about, about that. But my friend Eric over here is a great marketer and he knows a lot about this type of thing. So we're kind of passing each other around and stuff. But for me, it's just a big way to give back. The, the way I've monetized it, I do have online courses for people who want to really go further and, and dive deep into some topics. Example, blogging and podcasting are two things that really make sense to me, if you will. And I've done a lot with. So aside from that, though, it's a free community and just a way to give back. And I live by this and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but if not, fine. But I live by this one thing that I'm a person of value before I'm a person of profit. So I seek to add value to people's lives. And I believe profit follows when you're adding value. Yeah, that's definitely like a recurring theme with most entrepreneurs is you just provide a lot of free value up front and then the, the money just eventually follows at some point sooner or later. Right. <laughs> yep, sooner or later. <laughs> so that community, yeah, I noticed it was hosted on Mighty Networks. And so I was going to ask you, uh, I know you have a blog post, I believe, about Mighty Networks and why you chose do, that yeah. one. I recently discovered, I think it was yesterday, actually, 
one called Tribe. It's like tribe.so. Because I'm thinking about starting one of those communities as well. Well, Oh, yeah, you should. It's great. I was thinking about starting a Facebook group, but then, well, maybe we can get into that. Like why, you know, like what your article said, why you should go outside of Facebook. But as far as Mighty Networks compared to the other ones like that, did you ever use Tribe? I can't remember if that was one of the yeah. ones. I, I did test Tribe, yes. And, okay. and Tribe was actually a really good platform. Mm-hmm. What, what ended up really attracting me to Mighty Network is one, I built a relationship with the CEO and she was willing to build a relationship. So that was great. But also their devotion to educating their creators, as they call them, they offer so much free. I mean, here's the deal. If you join Mighty Networks today and you go into their community, because they run everything through one of their own communities and you message Gina Bianchini or Bianchini, the CEO, she'll get back to you and she'll say, yeah, let me help you out. Let me see what I can do. Their focus on helping their their people just succeed and take it further is what really ultimately attracted me to them. And something like Tribe is another great one. They might have that too. I just didn't get that same vibe when I first started with it, although most of the features are fairly similar, I'd say. So what features specifically about Mighty Networks do you like? Because I've joined your community and I've noticed it's almost like a community, but then you can have sub-communities almost or topics within it. Yeah. So I like the topical side. I really just like the the way it's laid out works with my mind. So I, I like that. It wasn't complex. And so one of the big things that I really enjoy about it is the ability to just have some customization. So for me, I wanted certain topics on there. I wanted to be able to have events on there. I wanted to be able to do group chat, one-on-one chat, and then do online courses. Like online courses are built straight into it. You can monetize them right there. It's a really good, like out of the box, like you can run it all from right here. And that's what I enjoyed most about it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I've been thinking about contacting them about being on the podcast sometime. So yeah, if you need an introduction, you let me know. (laughs) So can you explain why someone should go outside of Facebook? Because you always hear people starting Facebook groups, oh, you should have a Facebook group, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I'm for the the same reason you just (laughs) side there. I mean, some people hey, don't get me wrong, for some people, that is the right solution. And if you don't have a lot of time, or you're not willing to devote to it, that's great. Do the Facebook thing. There's nothing wrong with it per se. But for the exact reason that you just kind of side, it's because you know you're going to see the news feed when you log in first. Like you're not going to go straight to the group and go to the news feed. And then you're going to get super angry because somebody's going to do or say something that's just ridiculous, right? That's how the news feeds work. And then often when we first go to Facebook, the reason we go is because subconsciously we say, oh, I could waste, kill some time right now. Or let me see what's going on. It's not necessarily to be like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and check Sarah's group on, on Facebook. They might end up there, but initially that's not what it is. And there's just so much noise because people can just add you to groups. I'm literally, I think I'm in more than 50 or 60 different groups. And I don't even know how I got in most of them, you know, <laughs> like, and people are always like, Hey, you haven't checked my group in a while. I'm like, dude, I don't even know where, like, where is that? There's so much on there and all these notifications. So for me, having a dedicated platform where people get on for an intentional reason really automatically gets you in the right mindset. It's less spam. It's less just people passing through. It's more intentional conversation. And that's really valuable to me. Yeah, it's like part of me, like this one small part of me feels like, well, a Facebook group might make sense in the sense that people are already going to be going to Facebook, whereas maybe they wouldn't Mm -hmm. already be going to log into your third party site. But like you said, that's not really why they're getting on Facebook. They might go check the group and comment, but that's not why they're there. So yeah, some people have really good engagement on Facebook. I was just never one of those people. It just didn't really work well for me. And, And so to some people, it might work great. One of my friends she goes by, she's most well known by money saving mom, mm, uh, Crystal mm-hmm. Payne. And uh, she has a Facebook community that's just like, I think it's a million plus people now, super mm-hmm. engaged. She says that she posts 
at least 15 different things on there every day, like her doing 15 different posts, which is her team doing it. But I'm like, oh my gosh, like sounds overwhelming to keep up with. And she's like, well, no one ever sees it all. So you just post as many things as you can to get out there. I'm like, that's just not what I want to do, you know, <laughs> but like, but it works for her and it might work for other people as well. So it's just one of those things. The big thing is always to, to think of time. Like don't do anything unless you can do it with excellence is something I always say. And if you know that you can't devote the time that you would have to, to a, a third party app, to run a community, then don't do it. You'd be better off doing something on Facebook instead. I had interviewed the membership guy, Mike Morrison, and he was saying, so his whole platform is about memberships and stuff. And that Facebook apparently, even in groups now, are starting to put ads in group. And he's like, yeah, that's really tacky. Well, the thing about Facebook at the end of the day that we have to keep in mind is all social media is rented space. None of us own it. And at any time they can do whatever they want with it. If Facebook decided they wouldn't do this, obviously, and we all know this, but if tomorrow they said, you know what, we want everyone to pay, it's $1.99 a month. They can do that legally. That is perfectly fine. They own the platform. We are just running their space. So whenever you're list building on something like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, any of these places, you don't own the data. They do. Again, you're just playing in their space. Something like Mighty Networks or another third party I can export my list at any time and I can tell any information they've put in there, I can see even where they've done their posts, all kinds of things. And not that I use that data for anything wrong, but the fact that if one day Mighty Networks just decides they're going to close their doors, they'd be like, well, here's all your information. Here's your list. Enjoy. If Facebook says you're done with your group, then you're done. Like mm-hmm. there's there's nothing there for you anymore, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I know that it is rented space, but then I was like, well, but Mighty Network sort of is in a different way. But that is interesting that you brought that up about how, well, you still get access to their emails and you can download. Yeah, you when you pay them, actually, most people don't read privacy policies. I read through it enough to know that they say that you own the data because you were paying for the platform. So the data is yours. They can't keep that from you. So there, at any point, you can say, hey, send me this, and they'll send you an email with everything. It's, it's automated. So you press a button inside of your my network, it'll export everything live in that moment and spit it out to you in an Excel form, and you have everything you need. So they tell you, you own the data because you are a paying customer. Oh, wow. So that's a reason enough, basically. That seals the deal right there. <laughs> for me, for me, yeah. <laughs> for me, yes. But again, it depends on what you're doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's unique to everybody. D- does that work if you have the free account as well? That is a great question. I am not certain. Oh, uh, it's fine. I can ask them. So how? let's go back to the podcast. How were you able to get it in the top 20 entrepreneurial podcasts? Like what advice or tips would you have on that? Yeah, I love podcasting. First (laughs) off, absolutely love it. I hope to do more in this space even, but it's all about really the prep work that goes into it. So when I launched, I, I did six months in the background that no one saw. People were like, oh my gosh, you're like an overnight success in podcasting. Like your name just shot up everywhere. And I was like, well, kind of, but you didn't see the last six months where there was literally no fruit to my labor, you know, like there was just nothing that you could see. But I made sure to be very strategic with the guests that I had, the order that I released the episodes in. And when you're first getting started, the big thing is your first few weeks, especially are really important. And I don't have a mass. If you go look at my social media, I don't have a big following anywhere. Nothing impressive by any means from that regard. So I didn't like blast out to thousands of people or anything like that. But what I did is I knew a few hundred people really closely that I've really invested in their lives. And what I did is the day I launched, I told them, hey, next week I'm launching. I will launch with three episodes because the way Apple works, they're they're checking your download numbers. We have three episodes. That's like the sweet spot for launching. There's a lot of weird things that go into this. But basically, I said, I need you all to listen to all three episodes. And then each of you share it with three different people that you think is going to help and ask them to do the same thing and leave a five-star rating and review. 
And so I, I asked all these things, but the thing is, I didn't ask that to thousands of people. I asked to the few hundred people that have really invested in their lives. And each of them were beyond willing. I mean, they po- they went over and above. People post on social media. People shared it on their websites and their blogs. Like people just all out for it. And really quick, it just picked up traction. So within a, a week, we were being featured by Apple. Uh, a couple of weeks later, we were featured in three categories. A couple months later, we were top 100 in the business side. And then when they launched the entrepreneurship category, it was just timing for me. So they launched it. And people hadn't changed it. I changed it the same night they updated and instantly just jumped to the top. Like uh, top, I ended up at top 20. If I did it today, it wouldn't happen. It was a luck. It was a timing thing. It just worked out. But we ended up, because of that alone, we ended up on the top charts one week of, of all US Apple, or I guess it was all global podcasts. In the U.S., all categories, everything. We were number 197 out of 200. So, you know, we barely made it in there, but we made it on that top chart. And then when you're on the top chart, people actually look at that stuff and we got a lot of listens. So we launched, again, it all comes back to just who do you know and can you ask them to help you? And that's really important. And then doing the work up front. So for me, I didn't know much about it. So I just devoted myself to education. I wasn't a know-it-all. I wasn't like, I know exactly what I'm doing. More so, I just said, hey, what's working for different people? I started looking at all the big podcasts. I went to conferences. I asked questions. I got coaching. And I learned, if you will, the success model for podcasting, which is always changing because the industry is growing and changing. But I knew what I needed to do to really make it work. And my encouragement to anybody who's thinking about getting into this space or anything is leverage who you know. And also do the work up front that you have to do to make sure that it's going to really work. So the topic of it is creating a brand. Can you give a little background on just that idea and what someone can do to... Because a lot of my listeners are just starting out probably. Most Some, you know, are have already started a business, but a lot are maybe kind of in the thinking stage about what do they want to do and whatnot. So what advice would you have for that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, that's the purpose of creating a brand first off. Like the idea was I got the name from people asking me, Alex, I really want to create a brand. Is what people said to me like all the time, like Alex, I really want to do this. And with the aerospace background that I had, I was on projects a lot. So I was actually creating subcategories of what we were doing and manufacturing and things like that. So I kind of had the experience. So it made sense. People were asking me that. So I launched it saying, well, you know what? People are wanting to create brands for themselves. Let's talk about creating a brand. So the different topics we cover are like super wide range, but it's all around the, the topic of like, hey, if you're trying to create a brand, here's how you talk about customer experience. Like I had Joey Coleman on just a couple of weeks ago. The episode's not out yet, but it'll be out pretty soon. But he just talked about the customer experience journey, like the eight things that go through every customer's mind from starting to work with you until the time they're either stopping working with you or becoming a loyal fan. And so we talked about that topic in detail, like more like masterclass, like we just dove deep so someone could take notes and really implement this in their business. And that was the whole idea behind it. I wanted to help people actually make that first or next step and do it successfully. And we could talk about what that looks like if you'd like to, but that's the idea of the podcast. Yeah, sure. Let's go into that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, as you know, like there's a lot, but you know, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of people, we get too focused on logos we get too focused on our verbiage that we're going to use. And these are all great things. Our social media strategy, what the posts are going to look like. We, we get really focused on those things. And although they are beneficial, they're not what matters the most to your success. And I, I think that the biggest problem I'm seeing with entrepreneurs these days is we look at a brand like, let's use Nike as an example. Nike is, if you look at their social media, it is polished. It looks great. Their website is phenomenal. Any advertisement they do is just next level. Like it, it blows your mind when you watch it. Like, dang, man, these guys really like they did the time. But we compare ourselves to that before we launch. 
or saying, well, I really want my content to look like that or my website doesn't look like that. But what you're doing there is you're comparing somebody else's day 20 to your day one. If there's ever anything I've seen that's dangerous to do, it's it's that. It's saying, oh, I'm not this yet or I'm not that yet. But at the end of the day, you've just got to start where you are with what you have. And if you're really in this for the right reason, then it's going to it's going to be able to work. If you're solving people's problems, it is going to work. And so for the first thing that I always talk to people about it is purpose is the number one thing you have to think about. The why behind the what. Actually, Michael Hyatt says it in a great way. He says, when you know your why, you will know your way. So if you have a really strong why for the reason that you're starting this business, your purpose is really strong, then everything else after it is going to be okay. You know, like that's really what matters first and foremost is that. And if you really get into the purpose, unless it's like a social media company, like having really polished social media posts isn't the ultimate purpose of your brand, right? Or the logo isn't the ultimate purpose of your brand. We get focused on it because we don't have a clear picture of what purpose looks like. Yeah. And speaking of logos, like you had mentioned, you don't even have a logo yet for Podmatch. So <laughs> no, it, creating a brand is just text too. And at this point, it's getting kind of funny. So I might just leave it for a couple of years and see what happens. And no, no one's brought it up yet. And that's the thing. Like we, we get overly focused on it, but no one has said, Alex, you really need a logo for this brand. It's a year old. I kind of think it's funny now. I'm like, it's just text. I'm just going to leave it and see what happens. You know, like we'll go from there. Well, I like it though, because doesn't it have like those little triangles or something? It does. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. It's got a little something. It's not much, but it's got a little something there. Thanks for noticing that, Sarah. I appreciate it. <laughs> so have you started working on a Podmatch logo or is that? No, we want to focus on sure that it works for people first. And then we'll worry about our own vanity stuff, if you will. We want to look a certain way later on, but obviously we have a dream to make it a beautiful product. And I think that because podcasting is so new, so innovative, it will need that stuff. But again, initially... We're just not there yet. So, and that, mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they're starting out, they do focus on those things like logo mm -hmm. and, and the website and how it looks and whatnot. And I know I've done that too. And it's, of course, we all have. Yep. <laughs> it, it's like, I guess, because those are the fun things, or at least in my opinion. And then when you actually get down to the actual work of stuff, you're like, oh, well, I want to go back to the fun stuff. I'll, just right? go, I'll, go, I'll go back to working on my website. <laughs> you know, it's funny, actually, another point that I always talk about is hustle. And many of us, we want to hustle at the wrong thing, which there's nothing wrong with the logo again, or the, the look and feel of the website. It's all really good, important stuff. But I love something that Jerry Rice said. And he said, today, I will do what others won't. So tomorrow I can have what others can't. So when I think about hustling, I think about the things that we don't want to do. Like, I'll tell you what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to write out the first, what we, we started Podmatch with 500 tags, like to, to match people. I'm like, I didn't want to do that. That was, that was excruciatingly painful, you know, like sitting down being like, oh my gosh, like football. Okay. Football is a sport. Okay. Sport goes to this category and mapping it out and just taking days and days to do it. That's the hustle that people don't want to do, but that's the hustle that gives you what others can't have tomorrow because you're willing to do it. And sometimes you were like, wow, Alex, you have such a good podcast. And then I show them my, my flow chart for what it actually looks like for each episode. They're like, wow, I would never do that. I'm like, exactly. That's that's why I have one and you don't. So I think many of us, we have to think about, and it's not to like put anybody down, but we have to think about what we're hustling on. Is it actually meaningful toward the purpose that you have? Or is it more just something that you're enjoying doing? Like at the end of the day, we all got to do some stuff we don't like if we want to succeed, right? But it's all worth it when you hit that point where you feel like, okay, I'm accomplished. This is done. This is what I did this for. Yeah. And how does someone decide what direction to go in? If there's a few different interests they might have as far as creating a brand. Yeah. So like businesses, they have a couple different ideas in their head. Mm -hmm. The first thing I do is get around your people. So like not necessarily your family, but like go to some networking events and pitch the different ideas. 
that you have? Like not necessarily like public, like just saying that be like, Hey, you know, have you ever struggled with this? Like whatever the solution is that you're offering or like, Hey, have you ever had a problem with this? Or like, you know, I'm looking at my water bottle right now. Let's say like people were like, Hey, are you tired of like plastic bottles? Like would an aluminum one be meaningful to, to you? If they're like, yeah, I've been looking for a good fully aluminum bottle, you know, like instead of these plastic ones, if you if people were like, Oh really? So why don't you go with one of them that's on the market? Oh, well they have a plastic top or the top of them breaks or they're, they're too clunky or anything like that. Like that's then giving some validation to the idea that you have. If you have two or three, go at it with, with that mindset. Another way to do it, a totally different approach here is if you know these ideas are all great, go with the absolute easiest one first, whichever one is the easiest first. Somebody that I admire is uh, Dave Ramsey and Mm. he's, you know, he's in the financial space, but his debt buster, the way it works is he said, whatever debt is the least amount, no matter what, go for that one first. I think when many of us are thinking, I've got all these ideas for companies I want and these brands I want to start and products and services I want to release, you've got to start with the one that's going to be the easiest that can get to the MVP, minimum viable product or service first that can start making you money. And when you start building that foundation of a cash flow, then you can start doing some of your other ideas. Like, I'll be real. I have a big idea for creating a brand, something I'm going to do in the future for sure. It's another tech, it's another like SaaS project. So it's another like software what is it? Software? I'm just not learning that. But anyway, SaaS, uh, whatever it stands for. Um, so- software as a service, I think. So- software as a service. I need yeah. to get that down. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> um, but uh, we have another idea for it. It's much bigger. It's gonna be a lot more work than Podmatch. Podmatch was an easier project. So you know what? We're going to start with that one. And later on, these ideas will still be around and I can try it later. But really, at the end of the day, you have to do one thing at a time. It's the same advice an author would get or anyone who's a, you've written books. You only write one at a time. You don't sit down to write three at a time. And you know that better than I do. But the people that try to write three books at one time are the ones that have none of them complete. They have three chapters of each book, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's the same with companies. You've got to spend your focus on the one that matters the most. Yeah, that's interesting that you compared it to Dave Ramsey. I'm actually doing the financial piece right now. Oh, cool. Uh, Okay. I've been doing it for like a year, year and a half, you know, and paying off the smallest debt first. And actually next month I'll pay the car off. So what? Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. That's huge. That's (laughs) so cool. So yeah, you know, a lot of because I think and he makes this point that a lot of people assume, well, you should pay the one that has the highest interest first or whatever. And I get that logic because then technically maybe you're saving the most money. But if you start with one that's bigger than the others, it's just going to be overwhelming. And it's almost like as you pay one off, the smaller ones, you gain momentum. And, you know, back when I was in school, I did that with my homework. Like I would do the easiest, quickest homework first and get that out of the Mm -hmm. way. And everyone else was like, well, no, you should start with the hardest thing or the thing that's going to take the longest. I'm like, but then I'm going to spend all night on that and never even get to the other stuff. Right. Yeah. Well, it builds momentum, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. I have a daily checklist that I go through to make sure I'm keeping up with everything. I start with the easiest stuff. And some people say, no, start with like the one that you need the most focus for. But I, I thrive off that momentum personally. Like maybe that's not the way everyone's mind is wired. But for me, if I can get some momentum going, I am psyched. Like to just, you know, I'm like, okay, what's next? Come on, I can tackle anything at this point. And I've checked off three things today, you know, like I'm not like addicted to the checklist or anything like that, but it helps seeing the progress every day. If you're bogged down and you spend 10 hours on one thing, it's tough to be motivated to do the, even the little things after that. You're like, oh my gosh, like I'm so burnt out for one check or one like accomplishment today. So I'm with you for me. Hey, I'll get the simple things knocked out and I'll keep on moving. And actually, that model comes from getting things done. The GTD methodology, which is David Allen, his strategy is, hey, if you can knock it out in less than two minutes, do it. And then after that, just go after the easiest things and work your way up to the harder ones. Like you have to do them. So you have to set in your calendar timing. But 
at the end of the day, do the simple things first and work your way into the difficult ones. So all the the people who know what they're talking about say that, start small and, and go right. big. But then all the, you know, back in school, they're all saying the reverse thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting. So on your website, there's like different topics that you like to go over. And I was going to ask about a couple of those. One was how to win at networking, which I guess we've mm-hmm. sort of gone over in a way because I guess like pod matches. Well, pod match is more like connecting, I guess. But your community would be networking. Somewhat. Yeah. For me, networking, I only think in person. I think networking. I know like we live in a digital world and COVID changed everything. But like I miss the good old days walking into a venue where there's 100 people. I don't know any of them. I love that. You know, like really enjoyed that. But yeah, for me, networking is really it's an art. Like it really is. It's something that that you have to learn. The first time I stepped into a networking event, I don't know if you ever go to them, but I was so nervous. Like I was like, I don't want to talk to any of these people. And I bet none of them want to talk to me. You know, like (laughs) that was my feeling. But uh, thankfully over the years, I've really learned that if you show up with the mindset of I want to help somebody, I want to add value to their lives. It takes a lot of pressure off of you. You're not trying to impress people. You're trying to walk in and be like, can I make a connection for somebody? And so when I walk into a networking event, the biggest thing that I do is I can get into some like the mindfulness stuff, like when and how to talk to people, but I really show up to be a connector. So I'm like, you know what, can I be the solution to anybody? Like if I meet Sarah and she is looking to meet the CEO of Mighty Networks, Gina, can I make that connection for her? And I'm always thinking that way. So I want to help somebody. And truthfully, you'll be the guy that stands out at the end of the day if you were the one that connected the most people. If you're like, hey, you know what, I just met somebody else over here. Why don't you come talk to them too? And you make those introductions and you make the room that's huge feel smaller because everyone feels the same way when they walk in. But you're the one that connects all those people together. At the end of the day, the people they remember is you. They're going to be like, wow, that guy, Alex, like he introduced me to these four people. He didn't know him either, but he introduced me to him. Wow, that's a really cool guy. I'm going to remember him. And you do that for people and it really makes a huge difference. Yeah. And that's one thing I was looking forward to with podcast movement. I haven't actually been to any of the podcasting events yet. And I was planning to start going to them now that I'm like addicted to podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of conferences that are getting canceled or they're changing to like an online format, which I guess as far as the learning part of it, maybe that's good enough to watch Mm -hmm. it online versus in person. But I think the biggest thing about an in-person event, like you said, is the networking and getting to make one-on-one connections with people. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, there's something about it. Like it's it's just good for humans to interact in that way. It really is healthy and it's something you can get good at over time. And at the end of the day, if you're connecting people, helping them out, often that solution, making great connections for yourself, even that's that's great. It's really worth it. And what about secrets for growing your Instagram following? That was another. Oh, man. <laughs> I can. That's a full conversation. Right uh, there. I can give you a quick I can give you a quick overview if you okay, want. OK, sure. <laughs> uh, if you love Instagram. So this is funny. I did this research about a year ago now. But and I'm not really big on Instagram. I don't enjoy it. And I know that makes me like part of the minority, like because everyone loves it, you know, but like it's not really for me. But I was like, you know what? People like it so much. I'm going to and I was part of a an influencer network here in my city. It was called North. No, I'm sorry. It, they changed their name. It was called the Hive Society. And it was me and one other guy and about 200 women. And basically, they were really big on Instagram. They're all influencers. And they made me a director of education because I had creating a brand that could help out a little bit. So I'm like, I better know something about this Instagram stuff because these girls are all walking up to me asking me like, random questions I didn't know. So I actually dove deep into the algorithm side of it and come to find out when Zuckerberg got in trouble with the US government last, I don't know if it was 2018 or if it was the beginning of 2019, but at some point he got in big trouble. And at that point, he directed the senior leadership of Instagram 
to call in three big tech companies and expose the entire, the way the algorithm works. So they asked them, okay, like, how does this work? Can you just explain it to us real quick? And uh, so they brought people in. I'm going to have to pull it up because again, not being an Instagram user, but I can quickly give you the three most important ranking signals that matter on Instagram. Like they are the three most important things. According to Instagram, they literally said, here are the three most important things. So I'm going to dive over to that real quick. And yeah, this was something that I just decided, like, I, I, I want to learn this because I think it would really benefit some of these people in this network, you know? So the first one, the number one thing is interest. The first thing they're going to look at is this person interested in it. And they have a very elaborate way of doing this. But basically, their AI that's built into it can decide exactly what an image is. I mean, I, I've done some research into that and Google made theirs public. So I can even see how Google can do this. I mean, if you're wearing a t-shirt, they can tell what brand it is. If it has a logo on it, they can tell based off your facial expressions, your emotions, probably how you're feeling that picture. And they evaluate all these things. And so Sarah, if you're going through pictures and everyone's big smile outside in the, by the ocean or by the pool, you're going to see more of that. They know that you're interested in it. So the first thing is, are people interested in what you're posting? And so you have to make sure that you actually have content that is getting exposure and people are actually looking at. And so that's the first and most important thing. Next thing is timeliness. So you want to make sure that it's actually being posted at a time when people are going to be online. And thankfully, the analytics are public. So you can see like what time people are on. They want to make sure that it actually works with that time zone that you're in or that time frame. And the first hour is the most important according to Instagram. So the first hour it's posted, you want to make sure there's people looking at it and engaging with it. And great ways to do that is when someone comments, leave a comment back, but not just a thumbs up or a thanks. Be like, hey, thanks so much. I got this idea to post this by this person and tag somebody else. And just keep the conversation moving. That first hour really matters to make sure that it's important. And then the number three, the third most important one is relationship. So Instagram always asks, what's your relationship with this other person? How do you know them? And we'll show you more stuff of people that are like them as well. So when it evaluates a relationship, it's, you know, you log in, if there's someone that you always look at, it shows you them first almost every time, right? Yeah. It's evaluating that relationship. So it's really looking at that. At the end of the day, Instagram's entire goal is to show you what you want. So you stay on there as long as you can. So you have to find a way to develop content that certain people want to look at. And you have to be looking at, okay, what is doing the best? Not what do I like to post the best? So that's kind of the idea of winning on Instagram. And that was a broad overview. I mean, I literally have talked about that for over an hour oh, and wow. some classes and stuff like that. Like, is it really, there's some really cool hacks and stuff like that. I do have a course on that one. It's not one of my free ones. It's one of our premium courses, but it's in the creating a brand community if anyone wants to check it out. And I did a webinar on it as well. That That's free. If anyone needs a link to that, I can share that. Oh, sure. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I was thinking, do you have a course on that? I spent so much time in that course. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that that's how the Facebook algorithm or maybe any social media works as well. Yeah, they're all fairly similar these days. But mm -hmm. because Instagram is so driven off of images, it's really deciding what you're into from a picture perspective. I know with Facebook, it's like you only see, I don't, well, I don't know if this is true. I just keep seeing this, but it seems like it's true because that's what it is for me is that you just see keep seeing the same 25 people. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's how I feel too. I don't, I don't know how it works over there, but it's mm -hmm. they're owned by the same company, Instagram, yeah. Facebook. So it's probably fairly similar at least. Well, I appreciate your time today. You've given a lot of good tips and pointers and I really appreciate it. And is there anything else that you wanted to go over that we hadn't? No, I, I'm again, it's just an honor to be here. I, I really had a great time. So I think that I'll end with a quote, if that's okay, that I really enjoy. I always encourage people to launch, like I said, as quickly as you can, you know, as, as soon as you have something ready, launch as soon as you can. And I love this quote by Mark Twain, continuous improvements is better than delayed perfection. Continuous improvements is better than delayed perfection. So whatever is holding people back that are listening today, 
it's okay. You just need to launch and then focus on the continuous improvement. If you wait until you're perfect, you're never going to launch or you're going to launch too late. And timing is really important. So get out there and get started and get around a tribe of people. Get around people like Sarah that are really going to help motivate you and encourage you to keep on going. And yeah, leave your mark on the world. Help somebody today. That's awesome. I appreciate that. That needs to be on a poster. I mean, it probably is. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then also that link for the webinar is that... If you find me on... If you just go to creatingabrand.com, my social media links, you'll see YouTube. It's one of my YouTube videos, more more recent. So that, that's the... I don't know the direct link right now, but that's the, the quickest way to find it, I'd say. All right. Well, cool. And I'll also have show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash Alex, and I will link to that. Cool. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode, I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.